Amen. Thank you, Robin and team. How wonderful. um, You lead us so well, Robin. Appreciate you hugely. And Maddie back on the drums, hey? Banging away. It's absolutely gold. Some of those silent bits and then you come in with that big drop bit. That just gets me going every time. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I know it does. I can see it all over your face. Uh, very good. Very good. We should never apologise, I think, for singing some of those golden oldies. You know, I think we need to get used to it. We'll be singing Amazing Grace for all of eternity, I think. In fact, I reckon Shout to the Lord is going to be in the top of the playlist in eternity. Darlene Check, circa 1994, Menai Baptist Church, building that out like an absolute beauty. That is going to be on replay for eternity, I reckon. Make the list. What else? Onward Christian Soldier. Anyone remember that one? Hey, you, think I'm, you think I'm young. I'm not. Hey, Onward Christian Soldier, on repeat in my parents' car. It's, um, what else have we got? Anyway, power of your love. Now we're talking, yes. Maybe we should have like a full-on retro worship morning one, uh, one morning and night, yeah. Yeah, top 40 retro worship countdown. Oh, very good. Well, we're finally, finally, not finally, as in, oh, glad we're done with this series. We are at the end of our series called Behold Him that we started um, on Good Friday. Uh, We just brought us a word on surrender, beholding the surrender of Jesus, what um, he was willing to do and the length to the point where he would give his own life in surrender to see God's kingdom mission um, fulfilled and being fulfilled um, into the future. And then we beheld victory on Easter Sunday. Last week, if you're here in the car park, we beheld God's forgiveness as we gathered around tables and um, read parab- a couple of parables to one another and spoke um, in conversation around what God's forgiveness in our lives um, looks like and how that outplays itself practically and how we can be people of forgiveness. And this morning, we're going to finish up looking and beholding freedom. And what true freedom is. And the Bible speaks a lot on the topic of freedom, so much so that trying to capture the enormity of freedom and the beauty of freedom afforded us um, simply cannot be done with any kind of justice in just one morning this morning. Uh, That said, I pray that what we do cover today leads um, you and I into greater freedom in our lives as we seek to be the husbands, the, the wives, the partners, the friends, the co-workers that we are, that we would step into greater freedom in our life following Jesus. Now, I'm going to share a story. I may have shared it before, but that's just going to happen, right? I've been preaching from this platform for 10 or 15 years already, and um, there might be more to come, and um, I'm probably going to repeat myself. I'm getting older. Luba does it a lot, repeating herself over and over <laughs> I owed you that one, Luba. She got me this morning, so I owed her one. I will be repeating myself, so if I've shared this one, I apologise, but for the purpose of helping highlight the point, um, let me share. It was many years ago, probably eight or nine years ago, there was an event down in Cronulla that Christian surfers used to host every year, the Jesus Pro-Am, and a surf comp that drew crowds from all the way up and down the East Coast, and even around Australia, people would come and surf in the Jesus uh, Pro-Am, quite an amazing thing, we could have an event, um, and I only heard a story just the other day that one of these, Fozzer got up and shared his testimony in front of crowds of hundreds of people in the middle of Dunningham Park, such was um, the incredible nature of this event. 
Um, anyway, one morning at the very beginning, uh, we were standing there as we do in the dark, waiting for the sun to rise to see if there was going to be any waves for the competition to go ahead. And as we're standing there, leaning against the railing, looking out to sea, um, eagerly anticipating the sunrise, which, as it has a habit of doing, it did. And the sun rose over the horizon, and we're all looking out to sea, but little did we realise that under the cover of darkness, um, there was a car bogged on the beach at North Cronulla. Um, It's not a sight that you see every day because cars don't belong on North Cronulla Beach. There is no roads onto North Cronulla Beach. These people, I don't know whether they'd followed Siri and Google and maps, all that kind of thing, to try and get somewhere else, perhaps New Zealand, I don't know. Um, And they've ended up driving down that wooden slatted walkway. I'm not sure at which point they thought, maybe we're on the wrong path here. Um, However, they carried on and they persisted, and I think it was like a Toyota Camry. Uh, We're not talking about a four-wheel drive that lost its way. We're talking about a car that did not belong there. My first response was, look at these morons. Who in their right mind would, would drive onto the beach and get stuck? Um, I noticed that they were of a different ethnicity and within me, um, there was the unredeemed part of who I was um, and try to be that was casting some kind of judgment in that moment as well. You know, look at these idiots, you know, got themselves bogged on the beach and... Anyway, I happen to be standing next to um, an incredible man of God. He's uh, helped shape my life in wonderful ways, uh, Nico Gilmore. And as I'm uttering these words of, (laughs) take a look at these idiots down here, he's ribbed me and said, what are you talking about? Let's go and help them. Um, And I'm like, oh. (laughs) Uh, All right, need to swallow my pride. Uh, I need to backtrack a little bit. And I need to go and, and help. And so um, a crew of guys went down and helped try and dig this car out. Eventually they got out and we came back up. And I'm standing there with Nico and he's having a conversation uh, with these four gentlemen. And uh, he says, I'll be back in a second. He goes to his car and he gets four Bibles. And he gives these guys Bibles um, and just blesses them. Says, have a great day. Great to meet you. And this was a very confronting moment for me, as you could imagine, that that my selfishness in that moment was standing in stark contrast um, to someone who was showing me another way. And perhaps you've had a moment like that, where in your life you have just become acutely aware of your frailty and your brokenness, and perhaps uh, we'll use the word sin in there, because that, for me, would have been a, a sinful moment where I've considered myself more important than somebody else, where I have put my judgment on top of someone, where I have gone, you know, I've... Um, you know, been um, drawing lines of distinction between who they are and who I am as though I am something better. And, and I was confronted right there, but invited into a new way of being in that moment. A way that's not easy, but a way that works. And as I come to speak to the topic of freedom this morning, my hope and prayer is that we grasp the deeply practical freedom that Jesus invites us into. In fact, he's inviting us into a new way, a better way of being human. Let me pray. Father, I pray as we gather around your word this morning uh, that you would um, highlight to the things, Lord, that our hearts need to hear. Father, that you would heal within us what needs to be healed, that you will piece together the things that are broken, 
And Father, you would remind us in all of these things that your amazing grace washes over us this morning. Father, empowering us and giving, giving us every tool and resource needed to face up to this life and be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read uh, from John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, uh, feel free to join along. Uh, John 8 verse 2. Early in the morning, he came to the temple, as in Jesus, and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? As if to try and catch him out. In fact, it says here, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. However, Jesus responded differently. He bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We're not quite sure what he was writing. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And as those words pierced the air, they also had an impact on people's minds and their hearts. And when all of the crowd heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go from here and sin no more. I mean, how would you describe this encounter for this woman? Uh, I mean, humiliating, you might say, most likely. Um, incredibly confronting. Um, to have been called out and have been roped into a uh, very unsafe environment. Uh, somewhat scary, I would assume. I cannot imagine what it would have been like for this woman to have been dragged into that circle, although I can imagine the unrelenting fear that would have been upon her. Um, so overwhelming that resignation to death may have been her only relief. On the other hand, though, an incredible moment with Jesus where he sets her free. See, were it not for the kindness and the gentleness and the love of Jesus in this moment, this is how this woman would have died. Humiliated, shamed, confused, scared, and resigned to a lonely and hopeless death. There was a crowd vying for her death but yet right here we see Jesus contending for her heart. And I think we find ourselves in that arena quite often, that there would be an enemy, a, a, a crowd, a throng of voices contending for your and I demise, for our death, to belittle us, 
to shame us, to confuse us, to instill fear within us. But yet we see in this very moment, in the midst of such an ordeal for this woman, Jesus was contending for her heart. And he does the same for you and I. And I'm not sure about you, but I know that for me, as a result of sin and the broken nature within me, I can feel trapped. I can feel at times confronted by my own stuff. I can feel at times scared of even what my own mind could conceive as being permissible in life. Don't get too worried. I'm not about to do anything really bad in my life, all right? You know, when I give in to the things that tempt me, I can feel unworthy. When I don't get it right, I can feel ashamed. I can feel like, who am I to receive the enduring love and forgiveness of a holy and perfect God? I mean, perhaps you can relate. I mean, the natural response to us feeling these things is often just to try harder, to make stronger resolutions. I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm not going to do it that way anymore. Surely we try harder and harder and harder. Perhaps we get busy. Often our response is to distract ourselves, to find identity in other places that are, which in the end, just temporary and fragile. Now, sin perpetuates a cycle of grief in our lives. And there's an image, Greg, if you could just chuck it up there on the um, thing, this not, not, but one back. There we go, cycle of grief. You know, that is born, the beginning of the cycle of grief is born out of this sense of achievement, having to achieve to provide ourselves a sense of identity. And when we try and work our way out of feeling like we're trapped and we're trying harder and harder to say, I'm not that kind of person, we can find our identity in our successes. And then what happens is we begin to build our identity and sense of significance that is dependent on what we achieve, and so we push on harder and harder and harder we try. You know, this often leads to a, um, a strong drivenness in our life, a feedback loop of feeling significant or that we're okay with ourselves that would want us to try harder and achieve more. From this drivenness, then we get another feedback loop that says that we're acceptable. That in this moment of trying really hard and getting our identity out of trying really hard and trying to work this out in our own strength and do everything we possibly can in arranging and controlling and doing everything within us to be able to be accepted, we feel whole for a moment, but it is temporary and fragile. And so around we go again. We get busy, we distract we try and do it on our own and in our own strength. And we end up in a cycle that causes us grief. Working harder to find identity, getting driven, finding out that it doesn't last forever, and so we go around. And this empties the soul of its life. Perhaps you have been there. Perhaps you are there now. You're in a cycle of grief that keeps spinning and spinning. The cycle of grief is a tool of the enemy to keep us stuck and to keep us stepping into the invitation of Jesus to experience true freedom in our lives. You know, the law, as in the Mosaic law, 
the Ten Commandments, were in the hands of the Pharisees a tool to perpetuate this very cycle. You don't measure up. You stuffed up. You got it wrong. Now pay. Do better. Try more. And when you stuff up, we'll be here right again to keep you stuck. You know, the Pharisees were holding the law as though it was something to keep her stuck. But Jesus steps in and offers another way. Jesus refused for this to be the end of this woman's story. His refusal for sin and death to have the final word over her is a clear indication and pattern for which he is still working to bring freedom into our lives today. Jesus' final words to her, neither do I condemn you. In that, in that moment, there was not one voice that could possibly condemn her. If anyone's, it could have been Jesus's. But he wasn't about to perpetuate a cycle of grief in this woman's life and every voice of condemnation fled. And she was left there in full recognition of someone who was different, offering her another way forward. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. These were not ascending back to the same way of living. Go and try harder, and when you stuff up, I'll be here. Though true, Jesus' invitation to her to go and sin no more was extending an invitation to break the cycle of grief and live into a cycle of grace. These words were an invitation to true freedom, an invitation to live a new way, not stuck in grief, but empowered by grace to live differently. And so we have the cycle of grace. And this begins from a very different point, not on achievement, not on what you and I can produce, not in how hard we try, not in us mustering all the efforts in life to get us over the line, whatever that line might look like. It begins from a place of acceptance. And Ephesians 2, 1-5 says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in, what, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That is the situation humanity has found itself in, you and I included. Two weeks ago in our victory, I looked at all of the but gods, and here is another but God. We once were dead in sin like everybody, but God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And it was no accident we sang that this morning. Thank you, Robin. That that is the beginning point of us experience a life of freedom in the full recognition that it is nothing of our own accord, nothing of our busyness, nothing of our trying harder, nothing of our trying to distract ourselves from the reality that we have a broken nature and sin in our lives. The beginning point is understanding that Jesus has done everything to see us made acceptable. 
that you are acceptable to God. You have been accepted by God, regardless. There's not a dot, dot, dot after that statement. You are acceptable to God. That is where your identity comes from. Once we understand this, we move on to this concept of sustenance, that when we understand that it's only by grace that we have been saved, we come to accept that it's not our ability to uphold a particular perfection that makes us acceptable to God, but God's grace shown to us in Jesus that does. This leads us not to a dependence on our own ability and fortitude to live a holy life, but on the resources constantly renewed through dependence on God. This is an empowered way of living in God's kingdom, knowing that we are accepted by him and we are sustained in him. And the cycle continues in a healthy kingdom dynamic. Identity, this is where we find our new identity. Religion will tell you that you are a sinner in the hands of an angry God, but grace tells you that you are loved regardless. That you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. That you were chosen in Him and for Him and by Him. And as Paul writes in Ephesians 6, you have been raised up with Him and seated alongside Him in the heavenly realms. That is the chair in which you and I now occupy. Bewildering. Amazing grace. Almost offensive. That the Lord would look at me in all of my brokenness, in all of the things that my mind and my heart and my hands and my actions get up to, all the mischief and cheekiness that may ought not be there, and he would still look at me and he would take me from the miry clay and he would set my feet upon a rock, that he would consider me worthy to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Such is the grace of God. And then as the kingdom does, it turns everything on its head. We put achievement last. Whereas the cycle of grief is going to begin with achievement. You know, God still wants us to be fruitful. To live a life that achieves for him and with him. That is full of meaning and purpose and contribution to our world. This leads us to true achievement, not achievement that perpetuates a cycle of grief, but a life of love and service and obedience to the King. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the cycle of grace is an invitation into true freedom of which I would, of my working definition this week, that true freedom is a life empowered by the Spirit to know and follow Jesus. That Jesus' invitation for you is a life of freedom where you can truly know him and learn to follow him. Paul says in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, what Paul is referencing when he says the yoke of slavery was, in fact, the law. The very thing that the Pharisees were using against this woman in the moment of wanting to stone her to death. They were leveraging the law to have this woman murdered. 
It is this yoke that Paul is saying, do not submit again to this yoke. And among Paul's writings, indeed among all the books of the Bible, none addresses the topic of freedom more forcefully than Galatians. It is a letter described um, somewhat as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Interestingly, the central concern of this letter parallels the issue reflected in John 8, where this story of the woman caught in adultery is positioned in the context um, of the asking of the question, what is the relationship between freedom and being a descendant of Abraham? So the Gentile Christians in Galatia were being persuaded by some of the Judaizing groups to adopt circumcision and other distinctive Jewish ceremonies. Apparently these Judaizers, I don't even know how you say the word, argued, there's too many vowels in there, I'll get them mixed up, argued that such conversion to Judaism was necessary to participate fully in the blessings of God promised to Abraham. In other words, if the Galatians wanted to truly be part of God's people and therefore spiritually free, they must become descendants of Abraham by submitting to the Mosaic law. Paul had little patience for this type of thinking. In his view, it was another gospel entirely. In fact, it did not deserve the title gospel. Those who proclaimed such a message were perverting the true gospel and deserved God's curse. Indeed, they were false brothers whose real purpose was to undermine the freedom that believers had in Christ. Paul says to us, do not submit to any other way than the way of grace. And Paul's seemingly negative words toward the Mosaic lords, he's like he's throwing mud at what had carried the Israelites through for so long. It raises a difficult question. I mean, after all, God had given that law precisely into the context of their the nation's liberation from bondage. In the Exodus, he gave them the Ten Commandments to be um, a a guide, to be a a help along the way to help them navigate how they would be God's people in the world. In a very profound sense, the law was both a symbol of freedom and even the means of enjoying that freedom in the service of God. James goes so far to speak of it as the law of freedom. The problem is that because of sin, the law was impotent to grant life and freedom. Instead, it cursed and killed, as we saw it being used against this woman. The law was designed initially for good, but religion had grabbed it, had hijacked it, and had taken what was meant for good and had turned it for evil, and now it was unable to bring freedom. Christ, however, came specifically to redeem, that is, to liberate those who are under the law by delivering them from its curse. And the gospel is that through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are freed from the law of sin and death. We are no longer slaves, but children, not merely children of Abraham, but children of God. And the word says, truly, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now Paul, however, makes it vastly clear that this freedom is not a license to do whatever we want. You know, as kids, we just thought that was freedom, right? 
When mum and dad, if they were to ever just leave the house, it is all ours, baby. We can eat all the chocolate we want. We can stay up late. We can watch TV until the cows come home. Freedom felt like the absence of any rules. It felt like the absence of any boundaries. Not the case. Paul says in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So my question is, what do we do with the freedom that we have? That if Jesus really has entered into our story to free us from the cycle of grief, that would perpetuate old ways of living. And he invites us to live in a cycle of grace, understanding whose we are first, that we depend on him for all of our sustenance, that he gives us our identity and we live a life in obedience and service to him and to others. What do we do with that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Peter says in his letter, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honour the emperor. So when Jesus steps into our story and says, with all of the kindness and the compassion and the gentleness, gentleness that he showed this young woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He is inviting us to a life empowered by the Spirit to know and to follow him. A life that is given in service to God and others. And that is what sets us apart from the world. We don't use our freedom to serve ourselves, but to love and serve others. See, Jesus refused that sin and death would have the final say in this woman's story. And he is refusing the same in our story too. That death and sin is not the end. That through what Jesus achieved on the cross and rising again from the dead, that we are set on a new trajectory in our lives. One that is about life and life in all of its fullness. When there still is an enemy vying for our death, Jesus is still here contending for our hearts. Where the cycle of grief keeps us stuck, the power of God is for us and toward us to break it and enable us through his strength and power to live in the life-giving cycle of grace. And like Jesus did for this woman, he does for us. He bends down, posturing himself beside us, positioning himself, in fact, in the firing line of hatred and condemnation to show this woman and us that humiliation, shame and death is not the end. And in fact, freedom from them is the true gift of freedom found in him. So there is an invitation for you to freedom, to life and to break the cycle of grief 
that so easily consumes us. True freedom is a life empowered by the Spirit to know and follow Jesus, to give our lives in service for others. See, my moment on the beach that day was a go and sin no more moment. That was the time in which God met me in my selfishness through a loving brother and invited me into a new way of being, one that has stuck with me, one that now when I feel like the, the, the bubbles of pride and selfishness might rise up, God just takes me back and goes, hey, remember that car? Remember how you were like this and then you had a loving brother that showed you another way to a way to, the, you know... The, who knows what happened with these guys reading their Bibles, right? You know, if it was on my terms, these guys would probably be stuck in the sand waiting for a lift home still. No, they would have been rescued by someone, uh, I'm sure, all of these years on. However, there was a moment where that was broken in my life by the example of somebody else who showed me another way to live and to love. See, the freedom Christ won for us in conquering sin and death through dying on the cross and rising from the grave was not just a freedom from things, not just freedom from sin, not just freedom from death. Though those things are wonderful and praise Jesus and we will continue to do so for what he saved us from. But he saves us and gives us freedom into new life. Not just freedom from the sin and effects in our lives, but freedom into a new way. And I'll invite the band to come back up and we'll finish with a song in a moment. You see, Jesus, he frees us into a life of generosity. He frees us into a life of compassion. He frees us into a life of serving others. He serves us into a life of caring for others who are less fortunate than us. He saves us into a life of embracing and including outsiders. He frees us into a life of welcoming strangers. He frees us into a life of hospitality. He frees us into a new way of being human that does not serve a self-interested agenda, but seeks the coming of his kingdom here and now. And so we are called to live free my friends. Although do not use that freedom, as Paul would say, to serve yourself, but to love others. Amen.